Chapter 24 of Mr. Wicker's Window by Carly Dawson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This recording is by Arthur Piantidosi. Barely were the last spadefuls of sand packed down into Zachary Height's grave when Amos, who had wandered to the beach facing the sea and out along a short line, sang out, Ship ahoy! Remembering their orders, the men rushed over from the cove but remained hidden behind trees or shrubs. Chris and Amos climbed a tree from whose branches they had a fine, undestructed view up and down the coast. To the left, far distant, a point of land jutted out into the sea, tropical trees carrying their green out in a long curve. To the right, just appearing the direction in which they themselves had come a few hours previously, came a majestic ship, black from stem to stern. Black was its hull, but black too were its sails. He looked exceedingly ominous on the afternoon blue of the sea, and as it came almost level with the channel to the cove, its sails were lowered, and the watchers on shore could hear the splash of the anchor as it was heaved overboard. Then Ned Silly, oldest of the Mirabelle's sailors, came panning up from the cove in Zachary's grave to look out from the leaves at the base of the poised tree. Oh, Lordy, Lordy! he exclaimed when he caught sight of the black ship, the last for somber sails being taken in. What did I tell you, lads? he cried, noticing anyone and anyone near enough to hear him. That be the black vulture, the pirate ship. No vessel is safe near the black vulture. What a God's mercy that all of us and the Mirabel are out of sight, for the men about the vulture know no pity, lads. Growls and murmurs rumbled along the shore from clump to clump of leaves where the men stood hidden. Chris pulled a spyglass from his pocket and looked eagerly at the pirate ship only a little ways out from shore. He looked familiar, although Chris had had time to see so few ships he could not be certain. He shifted the glass, looking at details here and there, and at the name on gold-colored letters against the black painted sign. Vulture. The letters stood out neat and clear, and then his heart stopped and started again. Ned. He called down softly, for sound carries far and clearly over water, as every sailor knows. Ned, don't most ships just paint the same on the side? I lot thought they do, Ned replied in a puzzled tone, looking up through the leaves at the two boys. Then isn't it unusual to have letters carved wood and gilded on the side of a ship? Chris persisted. I thought it be. Ned's puzzled tone was sharper now, and he looked up at Chris and then out to the pirate vessel. What are you aiming at now, my laddie? Ned asked. What's on your mind? Just tell me what ships you know whose name is not painted on but set in carved letters, Ned, Chris said, and he lowered his glass and looked down. Their conversation in the silence had had some quality of excitement in it that had been caught up by the others, for when Chris glanced down he saw half the ship's company nodded around the base of the tree, and a half-circle of faces turned up to his along with Ned's. Ned's face puckered with effort for a few months, and then he, as he muttered, Let me see you know. There's the salt on there. No, that's painted on. Or the trisil and drew. No, that's painted too. He turned, searching the faces of his friends. Come, boys. What ship has carved letters for a name, not painted ones? More's a better memory than our mine. The captain and Mr. Finney came to join the crowd, standing back in the shadow of the palm grove. Both men were listening attentively. It was Bowie who finally spoke up slowly, as if unwillingly. There's only one ship that ever I did see with carved letters on their side, and that was Chul's ship, the Venture. 
He was surrounded once by a low murmur of assent from all sides. Aye, aye, but so, tis so. Chris from his higher perch pointed an accusing finger out to sea. Look then, for there's your same ship. The venture and the vulture are one in the same. Here, take my glass, he cried, handing it down. See the two let second letters, they're just a bit aslant. Weeks ago, at home, I thought it seemed strange that the E and the N looked loose. But loose they are. Once at sea, they're changed. Bolted in, maybe. I don't know how. And there's your merchant ship at home and pirate ship at sea. The men turned, wonderingly, but angrily, too, for the remembrance of what Zachary Height had tried to do, and so nearly succeeded in and rankled, and they now began to understand many things. Voices began to rise dangerously high in the growing youth feeling. Ah, the dirty dog! And his friend with the airs! Have we been harboring the like of them at home? Aye, to let them go free to settle the next clean ship, take all their cargo, leave our valiant men to drown! The captain came forward, his hands upraised. How now, men be still! We are here to see what may take place. But if your voices should carry as well they may, over the water, we should have a chance of it. Do as you, you be still and watchful. A little cry from Amos, who had taken his eyes from the sea. Look, around the point, there's another ship. Looks like she is what with the old blackbird was waiting for. Sure enough, at this, the fine white sails of a good-sized vessel made its way around the point of land. Distant shouts and confusion could be heard on the vulture. Looking through his glass, which he lent to Amos every few moments, Chris could stake out scuttering figures on the deck of the pirate ship. Men springing to the up to the ringing and others walking up the anchor as quickly as they could. On the bridge, Chris could see the tall, gaunt sight of Claggett Shoe. The humpbacked figure of Simon Gosler stood rubbing his hands at one side of his master, while on the other, observing the work of the sailors with a supercilious air, leaned a familiar and ridiculous figure. Dressed as if he were for a court ball at Versailles, and holding his lorgnette a few inches from his nose, Osterbridge Hawsey remained elegantly aloof from anything so degrading as hard work. He looked on with a superior smile as the black sails were unfurled, the anchor was heaved dripping from its bed, and the hard-pressed dirty crew made all speed to go in advance of the oncoming ship. Still others among the pirates could be plainly be seen mining the guns they've already been brought out of from the hiding places, while still more stood by to furnish their comrades with cannonballs and powder. Amos became so excited he leaned too far forward and nothing leaned from his difficulties with his hammock, fell out of the tree onto the heads and shoulders of the men below, causing astonishment and swallowed laughter before he was hoisted back up again. Bless my cop and buttons! instantly cried. There's a fight for certain. I can see the flash of light on the swords and axes. Quicker than it would take to tell, the vulture, black sails spread, moved forward to head off the merchantman, evidently homeward bound from China. The pirate ship sailed back on the coast, turned, and forced the oncoming vessel to stop. Then, as well as the watchers could guess, a parley ensued, but if the pirates thought the prey would be an easy one, they were mistaken, for the merchant came forward suddenly, all sails set, in an effort to ram the vulture, but the rich cargo vessel was hopelessly at a disadvantage. 
The pirate guns opened fire. Ropes were thrown over to the peaceful ship, and with yells of triumph that carried even among the tumult of the fighting, the pirate crew leapt on board. Tiny figures could be seen falling into the water from the merchantmen, and in a bitter hour or so, the sound of fighting died out altogether. The men watching from the shore had been kept there only by the obedience the captain was able to extract from them, for rage was in the heart of every man at the sight they were forced to see, but were powerless to prevent. Even among such hard-bitten old salts as they all were, more than one could be seen mumbling a prayer for some of the unfortunate men who had put up such a gallant fight. Come, lads, Captain Blizzard said to them at last. We have seen what we have to see, and many is a witness now against Claggett Chew and all his company. Aye, aye, that we are. We'll bear witness to such villainy. They shall all hang for it, the voices cried. Let's go back to our own ship, for the dreaded vulture is not yet gone, and unarmed as we two are. What chance are we against cannonballs and armed men? The men turned about and trooped back to the dinghies, while Captain Blizzard stayed behind a moment to speak to Chris. My boy, he said, his hand is on Driss's shoulder, as in front of them, in the late afternoon light, the men of the Mirabelle made their way back to the ship. Tis my advice you had best return with us now. Well, you might be missed by one or another of the men. They have much time to think. You shall do what has been set for you to do. We shall stay here another day to take on water and fresh fruits. He looked smilingly down at Chris, but his eyes were unconcerned. It will not be a moment too soon for me until I see you safe and sound on board again, my lad, she said. For I like you well, and would have no smallest harm come to you. Together they went down to the beach in the winning dinghy. Chris dared not look at the sky above them, for he knew darkness darkening it, and with the night he must leave. End of chapter 24